Snowden's memoir, the consequences of ignoring a breach disclosure, and has the appetite for stronger identity management changed in financial services? These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. There's probably no one more polarising in the world of cybersecurity than Edward Snowden. And this week, the world's most wanted whistleblower is back in the news with the release of his memoir. Here's ISMG's executive editor of Data Breach Today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz, with more. Love him, loathe him, or anything in between, it's difficult to not have an opinion on Edward Snowden. The 36-year-old former CIA analyst and NSA contractor is arguably the world's most famous whistleblower, thanks to his having leaked top-secret documents to the news media. Snowden's leaks showed that the post-9-11 U.S. intelligence establishment was running illegal domestic surveillance programs. They also revealed a global mass surveillance program of previously unexpected magnitude involving U.S. and allied intelligence agencies, including Britain's GCHQ, essentially tapping global data centers used by the likes of Apple, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, and Yahoo. What drove Snowden? That's the focus of his new memoir, released this week, titled Permanent Record. Points for the headline managing to echo both that grade school urban myth, do anything bad, and it might go on your permanent record, as well as the state of the surveillance state that Snowden's leaks revealed. No doubt about it, the surveillance state is big. But is that good? Or is that bad? That remains a point of discussion. But it is a less abstract discussion, thanks to what Snowden did. Some, however, see no upside. The NSA, in a statement released this week, puts it in much more black and white terms. In particular, its statement says, Edward Snowden violated his lifetime obligation to protect classified information and betrayed the trust of his co-workers and the American people. This week, Snowden's been speaking to the American people, with the publication of his new memoir. CBS News, for one, interviewed Snowden in a video link from Moscow, asking if he broke the law and if he acted in a traitorous manner. What's the the, the question that's more important here? Uh, Was the law broken or was that the right thing to do? If you look back at the history of the United States, it doesn't take very long for the average person to think about a moment in which uh, it was absolutely illegal to do something, but at the same time, it was absolutely the right thing to do. The U.S. government this week filed a lawsuit against Snowden and his publishers. The lawsuit says Snowden violated the non-disclosure agreements he signed with the CIA and NSA by not submitting the memoir to the government for pre-publication review. The government isn't seeking to prevent the publication of his memoir, but rather to seize all profits associated with it. One angle to the Snowden story is asking how many individuals saw what he saw, including not just the existence of these illegal domestic surveillance programs, but also senior U.S. officials who knew about them lying about their existence to Congress. Do we want mass surveillance programs in our life? Are they good for democracy? Could they also be used by those in power in democracies to compromise our rights? Inside U.S. intelligence agencies, some former employees say that big programs, even when illegal, may have politically been difficult to kill, even if they were costly and ineffective. Bureaucracy, when lacking proper oversight, tends to roll on. In an update to the Snowden saga, in April, the NSA recommended to the White House that it cancel one of the controversial programs that Snowden brought to light, involving phone metadata collection, on the grounds that it didn't work well enough to bother keeping it going. Regardless, many brand Snowden as a traitor. 
Before winning the 2016 presidential election, Donald Trump had labeled him a spy and said he should be shot. Some former intelligence community veterans, however, say that when Snowden saw wrongdoing, he had no viable way to report it. Jake Williams, who formerly worked with the NSA's elite hacking team, says that still no whistleblowing laws protect members of the intelligence community. As a result, he's warned that the intelligence community may be incubating Snowden 2.0. Meanwhile, Matt Blaze, a cryptography professor at George Washington University, says there are two parts to the Snowden story. The man, as well as what he revealed. By all means, debate them both, Blaze says. But let's not conflate them. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. It's never a good idea to ignore a breach disclosure. The truth always has a way of getting out, as Lumen PDF recently discovered. Here's ISMG's Managing Editor, Security and Technology, Jeremy Cook with a story. Ignoring a breach disclosure can have ugly consequences. Case in point, Lumen PDF, which saw data for much of its user base, published in a hacking forum late Monday. Lumen PDF is a free PDF editing tool that offers tiered subscriptions for more advanced features and storage. It's developed by Nitro Labs of New Zealand. The published data, which is around 24.3 million records, includes users' full names, Google profiles, email addresses, locales, and in some cases, Google access tokens and hashed passwords. The person who found the data tells me he found an unsecured MongoDB database belonging to Lumen PDF online around mid-April. The person says he reached out to Nitro Labs and its CEO, but did not receive a response. The person says the MongoDB database then fell victim to a ransomware attack just a few weeks weeks later. Since Lumen PDF did not respond, the person says it was decided to publicly release it on a well-known forum for leaks. Security researchers sometimes choose this route in frustration after trying to raise attention. Troy Hunt is an Australian data breach expert who created the Have I Been Pwned breach notification service. He says how the Lumen PDF situation played out is a sign of how dysfunctional the ability to disclose a breach can be. Troy Hunt. From my perspective, every single one of those people want to know, right? Like they, they want they want to be told when their data is exposed in this fashion. This to me just absolutely nails it. I mean, here this data has been floating around for how many months? Personal information in there. Yeah, we've got things like genders in here, which yeah, depending on your jurisdiction can be quite sensitive as well. A sensitive aspect of the breach is the leak of Google account access tokens. Lumen PDF allows users to use either their Google or Dropbox credentials to sign into the service, which most users opt for. That allows Lumen to have access to a person's Google Drive storage and email. Capturing those tokens is a score since it would allow access to someone's Dropbox or Google Drive account. The person who found the data says he held off posting it sooner due to the access tokens, saying that waiting four months should have allowed most of the tokens to expire. As far as password hashes, only 120,000 were exposed since most people use single sign-on. It appears those hashes were created with Bcrypt, which is considered a secure hashing algorithm. Although Lumen PDF told the publication ZDNet that it planned to publish a breach notification, it still hadn't appeared as of late Wednesday. That shows again a wide disparity in how organizations handle breach reports, and in this case, one not handled very well. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. Finally, the U.S. House Financial Services Committee held a hearing Thursday last week to learn more about adopting new technologies that can help fight identity theft 
and how threat actors are already using the same technologies to further expand their crimes. One of those testifying was Valerie Arbend, Financial Services Security Managing Director at Accenture Security, who I got to interview this week. I asked Valerie about the financial services industry's shifting appetite for stronger identity management. Here's her response. Financial institutions, when it comes to digital identity, have been you know, working in this space and trying to figure out how you deal with knowing your customer um, for a very long time. Uh, one, because they're required to, but it's also because obviously they're trying to make sure that the transactions are um, appropriate and they're not you know, nefarious or that someone's committing fraud. Uh, there's been an interesting kind of balance and tipping of the balance between making the um, accessibility and, and the, uh, of being able to do online transactions um, a good user experience, right? And the ability to not have too much friction in that process, not burdensome to the customer for them to be able to conduct their transactions. And in the past, that balance of, well, let's just give them usernames and passwords and ultimately, over time, usernames and passwords have gotten, um, not only are they not a good way to authenticate people because uh, they aren't effective in preventing fraud um, and from folks uh, breaking into your bank account, but they are um, also uh, increasingly hard to remember. Um, so they're no longer a good user experience. And so what's interesting is the balance shifting now um, because of the rate of fraud, because of the number of incidents that we see and and not only uh, direct attacks, but synthetic IDs being created, that balance and the cost to financial institutions of the fraud and the cost to the customer has gotten uh, a bit on the other side of the user experience as well. And we're starting to see that the technology available actually makes for a really good and a much better user experience. Uh, so using some of the emerging technologies like AI, like blockchain, we'll throw every buzzword out there, right? But realistically, providing the right use cases, providing the right context, and using various aspects of emerging technology to do a better experience at the same time, you actually help prevent the instances or mitigate the risk against fraud and the use of synthetic IDs and, and other types of attacks against customers in their banking experience. That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.